Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Wrapped in a sheepskin rug. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. <laughs> and we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! We have a YouTube channel! You can find it, if you search for it, so there's no excuse not to hop on over and check out our video content. There's a mini-series called Hard Drop that Chris has been making about games modelled on the Tetris formula, and we have streaming content on there as well, such as our playthrough Streets of Rage 4, and Chris's attempts to conquer my full Super Mario Maker 2 Super World. Oh dear. <laughs> Which may or may not be up at the time of listening. Depending on how rubbish at games I am. So please do check that out and subscribe to the channel as we're adding stuff all the time. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash our three cents. For those of you looking to get more content from us, that's where you'll find it. Buttloads of extra exclusive content in exchange for a few pennies of pledged support. And we've recently rejigged our pledging tiers as well, so there's loads of perks available for everyone who wishes to back us. So if you like us and want to support what we're doing so we can make even more, please do check that out. So this week we have our number 35. 35. 35. If it were a person, it would be older than me. <laughs> Correct. We're returning to the quiz. All right. Yes, here we go. The score stands at 33 points to Chris and 31 points to Minty. Let's find out what happens next. Ooh. Who designed the top-selling PC game The Sims? Oh, um, ah. Will Wright. Oh, I think he's right. He is Will Wright. The yeah. answer is <laughs> Will Wright. There we go. Well done, Chris. It is now 34 points to 31. Oh, the yes. lead is appearing again. We're back on it. I had a had a fallow period, and now um, <laughs> I'm, I'm making headway. <laughs> so what have we been playing this week? Minty, what have you been playing this week? Have you continued your triple JRPG juggling act of Labyrinth of Refrain, Tales of Vesperia, and Disgaea 5? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, we've been playing a lot of uh, golf with your friends, me and ah, my yes. wife. Ah, yes, how are you getting on with it? It's it's fun. Like, you know, g- golf, golf games are always good fun. Um, and this is fairly easy to control. Um, I am hoping for more courses to appear at some point in the future, because I'm pretty sure... Th- does the PC version, the Steam version, does it have modding? It does. There is also course creator content and they are planning to bring user designed courses and course designer to the console versions as well. So That's good, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, which will be fantastic. Then that will I mean literally be pretty much limitless amount of uh, of holes to putt. Yeah, I'm excited for that because we've played through all of the official courses, so I think it'll be nice if we. Uh, oh, well done! Yeah, if uh, we took turns making our own holes and uh, letting each other conquer them. That's a fun thing to do, and mm. I think we should do that as well. I haven't played much more of it, 
and I would like to introduce Sammy to it as well, and then we can double date uh, and go mini-golfing together with, mm. with you and Mrs Mindy. I'd like that a lot. <laughs> My week has mainly been taken up with Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. That's because oh. it's, it's Ryan time, isn't it? It's Ryan time. I don't <laughs> quite know how I've managed to find 16 hours of Ryan time in the last week, but, but I have. And I've got my main six in my party now that I found the Nopon Village. And even though Ricky is a really good party member, I just can't have him in there because his voice is just too annoying. They're awful, aren't they, the Nopons? <laughs> they are really frustrating. <laughs> Dreadful uh, Nopon. Thankfully, you can lower the volume of the voices separately. So I could do that. And because you can customise how they look, I did dress him up as this sort of plum pudding dragon. So he doesn't look as ridiculous either. But even still, Shulk, Dumban, Ryan, they are such a strong trio that they make mints of anything in their path. So I'm sticking with them for now. Yeah. And I'm having a great time. It's just, it's brilliant. I love, I love being being back in the game. And I'm surprised how much of it I remember, actually, from playing it on 3DS, obviously quite a few years ago now. It's just fantastic. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to getting past where I called it a day in, in the handheld version and seeing the end of the game and then actually getting all of the bonus stuff as well, all the extra story content. Cause it's like about 20 hours of like extra content, which is great. Big bonus. So the last episode, I did mention that I was going to dig out my 3DS and see if VVVVVV was on there. I did dig out my 3DS and it wasn't on there. <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> but I did have a real hankering to play it and I got it on the Vita and I played through it in one sitting in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep. It's great. I mean, I definitely have played it before, but I think possibly only like the beginning of the game. Yeah. But I've, I've literally no idea when or, or where I did that. But I, I, yeah, I had a great time playing through the game to completion. I, I got some of the collectibles, uh, not all of them. I got this one incredibly hard one, which took me like a good half hour of time to get. <laughs> it's where, where you have to like fall up through like a load of spikes for about four or five screens, uh, flip the gravity and then come all the way back down the same thing in one go. You isn't it, isn't one? it called like Veni Vidi Vici or Veni something Vidi like that? Veni Vidi Vici. Yeah. yeah. I came, I saw, I conquered. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. I, I had the exact same experience, but... When I said I was kind of going back and playing it more and more when I had it on the Vita, I got quite good at those bits. It was it was really satisfying because every attempt I'd get like a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further until I did it. And that was really, yeah, it was really, really nice. And I mean, I'll, I'll happily dive back in and beat the game again, scoured through the map to get the rest of the collectibles. And it was a really, really simple game, but really, really fun, really good. And speaking of simple, I also got hold of 51 Worldwide Classics on the Switch. Is it, is it fun? Tell me it's fun. It's great. It's really, really fun. Yeah, it's 51 very just simple classic games and they're all made really nicely it's got they've got a great style to them they've got really nice use of hd rumble to make them feel a bit more tactile and yeah they're just really well presented and you know i've been blasting through some of them and there's a lot of the card games and sort of mahjong games and stuff like that that i I don't know how to play so i'm looking forward to learning those and and mastering those and you get like a little medal for beating the ai on each of the difficulty settings which goes from like normal to hard, to very hard, to impossible. Uh, so I, I imagine I won't get them because... It, it's stated right there and then. Yeah, exactly. And I won't feel bad about not getting them. How about you, Chris? Have you have you played much Xenoblade? I've played a little bit. Like, I, I haven't had... Well, I, don't, I have had time. Everyone's got time at the moment. But I, I think I mentioned to you in the week, it's like, because Xenoblade, especially at the beginning, 
requires you to to really get a handle on its battle system yeah uh, and and kind of get a feel for for how the quests are, are dished out and, and where you're picking up side quests and everything else i just i haven't had enough time to really get in the right headspace to play it so i, I think i've probably played three or so hours i haven't made loads of progress but it's just kind of finding my feet again and, and getting used to how it runs so yeah. I, I will make more progress in time really nice world it looks great on the switch yeah like really impressed with it uh, and hopefully i will get over that hump and then, then i'll actually start making a bit of progress something that really helps is the fact that they've they've got a casual mode in the game now which is basically like turning it onto easy mode which yeah. you can just flick back back and forth and it, I mean, it makes a real difference in, in the battles because yeah. we know it's very complex, but it's also not forgiving either. And yeah. if you don't have a grip of actually how the battle mechanics work as soon as they're implemented, then it is really tough. Yeah. And so I found I just switched it onto casual mode until I kind of just got back into the rhythm of things. That's, that's a good tip, actually. And I can sort of switch it back, switch it back out again. So I'd, I'd recommend doing that just to help ease you in. Mm. But uh, so I, I feel like I've started to get my head round yeah. <laughs> all of it now, like 16 hours. <laughs> In and I sort of got a good team lineup and and that, but yeah, there is there's a lot there's a lot in there. It's dense. Yeah, I mean, what what I've spent more time doing, uh, which is kind of less labour intensive, I guess, is I've been playing on a new handheld console. Oh, uh-huh. uh, the little device called the Evercade. And if anyone follows me on social media, I've I've talked about it a little bit recently. And it's basically a sort of budget device. It's only about £50 or so that plays licensed cartridges and each one collects together different 8 and 16-bit titles. And it's really nice. It's really, really nice. Like I've got a variety of like the first run of cartridges. They're all really cheaply priced. They're 15 quid each, the cartridges. And they're from like proper publishers like Namco or, or Interplay and things like that. So you've got a collection that has Pac-Man and Dig Dug and Splatterhouse and stuff from the Namco one. Uh, you've got things like Earthworm Jim and Clay Fighter on the Interplay cartridges. Oh, nice. Uh, and there's also a couple kind of independent publisher cartridges from teams like Mega Cat and Pico Interactive, who I hadn't really heard of before this, but they both have made a name for themselves, either translating and releasing sort of ancient titles that never made it to the West, or in some cases like putting out modern indie games that are built on old hardware. Like you, you might have seen this one pop up on the Switch before called Coffee Crisis. It's often on sale and it's like a side-scrolling beat-em-up that was made for the Mega Drive, but also has like a modern port. And, and what I really love about this console, like I was interested in it for a long time, but didn't really want to buy it myself because I can emulate most stuff. So I, I didn't think I needed it. Yeah. But my brother bought me one for Christmas and it's kind of finally come through production now. Oh, lovely. It gives you like these little curated collections, essentially. And it encourages me to actually play some of the games on these cartridges. Yeah. Because I find what I, what I do a lot of the time is my, my Vita is like my go-to device for, for emulation. Yeah. But on my Vita memory card, I've probably got access to... 20,000 games like that's not (laughs) that's not an exaggeration like just an an obscene amount of ROMs and it means that when I pick it up I struggle sometimes to decide what I want to play and I end up just defaulting back to the same three or four things yeah whereas with the Evercade you can put a cartridge in you've got maybe like 11 12 games on a cartridge for choice and it means that you might go oh I recognize that I'll go give it a go or in some cases you go oh never heard of that I'll give that a go and it's encouraged me to actually play them properly like for for example, it came on Friday, so a few days before we were recording. On the Namco card, I played through all of a SNES game called Battle Cars that I'd never heard of, uh-huh. which is kind of like a hybrid between F Zero, so it's like a Mode Seven racer, as well as like later car combat games like Twisted Metal, so you can shoot enemies, kind of thing as well when you're racing. 
the internet when I looked it up said that it wasn't very good <laughs> and I thought well I'll give it a go see what I think and yet I played it for three or four hours until I beat the whole thing nice so I, I don't I don't think I would have done that if it was just I popped it on an emulator because I wouldn't have pushed past that first five minutes to kind of get the hang of the game yeah I've almost completed Boogerman for the first time since I had it on the Mega Drive classic which was like 20 odd <laughs> years ago and again this is the furthest I've got in it since then because <laughs> it's not just putting it on an emulator going yeah I remember that playing a stage and getting bored I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give it an afternoon. I'll see what I can do. And, and I got through it. It's, you know, it's, it's still a really fun game. So yeah, really highly recommended. Like the, the way I've given price and stuff, I don't want this to sound like I'm doing a sponsored post <laughs> because I, I have been given nothing. <laughs> but I just, I really, really like it. It's really nice to hold. It feels good in the hand. And despite the fact, like I said, it is a cheaper device. It still feels quite premium. And I think they've done a really good job for kind of like the cost value ratio. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else they put out in the future because every cartridge so far has had some things I've recognized as well as a bunch of games that I've, I've never heard of, which is quite nice. Yeah. And it's another another lot of cartridges to collect for you. Exactly. To <laughs> that's how they get you. And that's literally specifically how they get you. Yeah. I bloody love a shelf. <laughs> yeah. Famously. Famously. Shall we move on to the rankings? Rankings. Yes. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Chris. Hello. Can you please tell us about your 35th favourite video game of all time, please, sir? I took a little bit of stick from some of our listeners when I placed Goldeneye at number 62 on my list. And it's one of the only picks on my list so far that has elicited that sort of response. So generally, it either means that people don't care what I think. Because nobody else has played Panzer Dragoon Saga. <laughs> or, like I said, that it could be that I just I have games in the right sort of areas that people kind of agree and go, yeah, that's a, that's a 70s game. But either way, I, I think... I know that GoldenEye is a really important game for, for lots of people. I know at the time it sold N64s. I know it was played at basically like every gathering at the time, almost no matter your age. If you had an N64, you would play it with friends. And it also, like I mentioned back when I talked about it, it moved console first-person shooters forward and one was one of the earliest examples of like a bespoke FPS experience, mm. which splintered the genre away from just being a Doom clone. It placed where it did for me, though, because of today's game, my 35th favourite game. And this isn't Perfect Dark, so this is not just a tee-up to say that, you know, its, it's follow-up was better. Though I do have really fond memories of that game too, because I won a copy of it in a competition with Special Reserve Magazine. Yes! Which was a, a mail-order service I was subscribed to at the time. I remember you did. Yeah, I, I did. remember you getting that. <laughs> so it came a little bit later than everyone else, and, I, and no one believed me it was coming, but I, I did get it. I had my <laughs> free copy, and I was really happy. But no, it's, it's not Perfect Dark. We've mentioned quite a few times when this developer comes up that Rare sort of lost their way around the time of their acquisition by Microsoft. And I think what we haven't really mentioned, though, is that some of this blame has to be placed on a lot of the employees of Rare just leaving the company before that even happened. Yeah. Because they went on to form a completely different developer who who were in charge of, of today's game. And that is Free Radical Design, who was a developer born out of this shift. And their second release, which was Time Splitters 2, is my 35th favourite game of all time. Oh, no way. How about that? And you mentioned it 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I literally mentioned it 10 minutes ago when we recorded our Patreon exclusive episode about mini games. So if you want to hear me talk about Time Splitters 2, uh, check that out. But, <laughs> but for now, Chris, I give you permission to continue. So <laughs> the, the first Time Splitters game on the, on the PlayStation 2 really wasn't much to write home about. It was the first game that this team had made after they left Rare. And it felt very much like the product of a team 
obviously like learning the ropes again, learning new hardware because it was on a, a new generation with the PS2. It had pretty decent multiplayer, but it also had a single player mode that was probably put together in like a single afternoon. It, it was very much just like, let's just get it out as, as close to the launch of the console as we can so, so we can get something in. Like in every stage, you just made your way through a map, you collected an item and then you made your way back to the start. And, and that was entirely it. There, there was nothing else to, to do. There was a challenge mode in the game, which laid the groundwork for, for some of what the second game did. But I'll leave off talking about that for now because it will obviously come up shortly. Now, I think Time Splitters 2 was was better than its predecessor in in every way. And it stands for me as what is essentially the true spiritual sequel to GoldenEye. Because Perfect Dark for me was like GoldenEye 1.5 and Time Splitters 2 felt like a proper evolution of that particular strain of first person shooter. Yeah. Like at that time this this was kind of like the early 2000s. The, the genre itself felt like it was moving in one of two directions. So we'd had years of, of Doom and, and Doom clones uh, and all first-person games seemed to either be going the way of online arena death matches like Quake 3 or Unreal Tournament or it was going down the cinematic sort of corridor shooter that we have now in Call of Duty and at the time in things like Medal of Honor it was just a very different different way of designing these games. And I think what Doom did well that I mentioned a few weeks ago, that had been largely lost and even the bespoke format of kind of Goldeneye and Perfect Dark seemed to have just fallen by the wayside. But Time Splitters 2 came out and suddenly we, we had that again. It was a proper console shooter. It was a game made for consoles and it made allowances that it needed to work on a pad so it felt good to play. And it followed Goldeneye's template for stage design and its objectives. So it would give you these lived in, like realistic spaces that required a different approach on each difficulty setting. So it wasn't just that on, on, for instance, like a lower difficulty, you, you just make your way through and on a higher difficulty, the enemies are harder. This was a case that there were, there were more objectives. It was asking you to kind of find bits of the map that you hadn't necessarily looked at because you didn't need to on the, on the lower difficulties, as well as obviously having to deal with much tougher enemy AI. So it was, it was just a really properly interesting way to develop a game that made moving up a difficulty level a proper shift. It was something that expected you to start on easy and then work your way up. The story itself is not too dissimilar to the first game. In order to save the world, you travel through time, you collect fragments of time crystals, and then you escape, avoiding the titular time splitters, like the the main enemies of the game. But here, instead of just grabbing it and going, you had proper objectives as well that were much more akin to Goldner, like I said, and and they would kind of like build as, as you moved up the difficulties. I don't think it was a coincidence either that the first stage in Time Splitters 2 takes place in the shadow of like a massive dam, like Goldeneye starts on the dam as well. Because <laughs> yeah. it really felt like the team saying like a proper statement of intent and, and making players go like, do you remember Goldeneye? Do you remember that game you already loved? Well, this is what we can do now just a few years on. And it wanted people to be blown away with just how much bigger and more expansive this was. What I played more of though, more than the single player sort of campaign was its other modes and and this is a game that is just stuffed absolutely stuffed with stuff to do yeah when you got bored of the the campaign the sort of slower paced campaign there was the arcade mode which was a series of matches against bots that increased in difficulty across like themed stages and there was enough in there it rivaled the single player campaign for content easily like it was huge Sometimes you would fight solo, sometimes on a team, sometimes you'd battle to control sort of uh, different control points across the map. There was a lot of game there. Then in addition to that, there was a challenge mode, which I, I sort of mentioned loosely in the first game. The challenges reappear here, 
except now they're expanded into yet another single player mode that's as big as the main campaign. So here you're asked to either maybe behead zombies by using headshots only. You're asked to shoot out window panes to make sure there's no glass left unbroken in a stage. I remember that one, yeah. <laughs> in one, you have to collect bananas as if you're playing like a first-person Pac-Man as a little monkey. There's just there's stages upon stages. And both arcade and challenge mode gave you medals to aim for as well, which is always like a real crutch when I'm playing games. It's like, well, I can do better. I can do better. <laughs> and you could go all the way up to a platinum medal which at the time, achieving even one platinum medal felt akin to winning a 100-meter sprint against an Olympic athlete because they, they were just impossibly difficult. But also each one, as you sort of just won the challenge, generally would give you more unlockables to then use in multiplayer, which again was a, a mode in and of itself that was massive. So I mentioned way back when I talked about GoldenEye that the multiplayer in that was essentially just an afterthought that ended up being a massive success. Yeah. It was refined in Perfect Dark. So again, that kind of like 1.5 moniker that I mentioned earlier. It was serviceable in Time Splitters when that came out. But I think the formula here had properly evolved. Like it ran great. It looked great. It was super customizable. There were a billion characters you could choose from to make it very personal to you. It allowed four-player split screen, either with like a multi-tap on the PS2 or, or just with four controllers on the other consoles. And it was just a fantastic time. On top of that, if that wasn't enough, there was a map maker. Like you could make basic multiplayer or single player objective based maps on the PlayStation God, 2. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Was that on the GameCube version as well? I think it was. It's, it's definitely in the Xbox and the PS2 ones. Yeah. But I have less experience with the GameCube one. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> but at, at the time, it just felt like the team was really showboating. Yeah. <laughs> like the first time splitters, like I said, was really bare bones and, and was almost felt quite cynical because it was just like new console let's just launch window come on get something out this was something that came out like a couple years on and and felt like they'd they'd really thought about every single aspect of it on top of that and this goes back to what you said jonathan in our in our bonus special episode there were also hidden mini games yeah so on on top of everything else there, there were three kind of zx spectrum inspired mini games which sort of references when rare used to make games in that generation under the title ultimate play the game all in all, it's just a remarkably generous package. Like, like I couldn't believe as a kid how much was in this disc. And I know I said a few weeks back that Doom was was one of the best first-person shooters ever made, and I, I still absolutely stand by that. But I think, personally, I put more time into Time Splitters 2, both solo as well as with friends, because I remember playing it at your house, Jonathan, on the GameCube for one of your birthday parties before we probably sat down and watched Adam Sandler's The Waterboy afterwards. That sounds exactly <laughs> like one of my birthdays, yeah. <laughs> but also I remember like a little bit after that, a couple of years later, playing it with our, our friend and Patreon subscriber, Gene, for hours, like hungover after we'd go out for, for nights at local gigs <laughs> and, and kind of like stay at each other's houses and just wake up and play Time Splitters all day. It was just, Excellent. It, it's, a, it's a great game for, for so solo and, and multiplayer. Today I put the game on for probably the first time in years. Like I can't imagine I've turned this on for at least 10 years, but I, I boosted it up on the original Xbox and it does feel very different to play because the controls are kind of very much that, that early generation stuff where people were getting used to where we should put different functions on a pad. There wasn't like a, yeah. there wasn't that sort of assumed uh, layout that everyone uses now for first person games. But after I got used to that, it holds up really, really well. The gameplay is still fun because it has this kind of slightly cartoonish design rather than being kind of photorealistic. It stands up really well, was looking nice, even though it is ancient now. And it's, it just looks really fresh. It's still a really fun experience. The game did have one more sequel a few years later called Future Perfect, which was also pretty great. But then Free Radical just fizzled out. They kind of worked on a couple titles 
got absorbed into a team within Crytek who make like Crisis yeah. and things like that. Uh, and they basically haven't produced anything of their own in, in years. It's a real shame because it, it was a time when the first person genre on consoles still felt like it could go a slightly different way to what was happening on PCs. And now I think everything is just kind of homogenized just because of how tech works. But for the time, it, it was a different way of, of doing things. And I feel like, you know, this is our opportunity to just pour one out for the trendsetters. Rare and then Free Radical doing something very, very different uh, and making great games. So yeah, 35 times Fitters 2. Yeah, absolutely fantastic game. As I mentioned in the bonus episode, it's not it's not in my list because I I never owned it. Did you not? I, no, I borrowed it off my friend Alec Howard because we, we played a bit of it in co-op, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it was my first time playing a first-person shooter on a console and getting yeah. used to that sort of dual stick control was, was really, really weird. It's something I still haven't fully got used to, <laughs> but it is an absolute banger. I, I love, I love the music in the game. It's so good. Mm. I often whack on the um, the music to the Siberia level because it's just fantastic. It's a really, really great track. What a great game. It's, it's a shame, like you said, that the, the development team sort of fizzled out. I was just looking on, on uh, Wikipedia here and apparently they some of the team were involved in developing Warface, the free-to-play oh, first-person okay. shooter. Yeah, that's, that's quite big now, isn't it? It's one that's reasonably yeah. popular. Moving on, we have Minty's game. Minty, can you please tell us about your 35th favourite video game of all time? I would. Really great to hear about the legacy of Doom from Chris. Really excellent game that holds up as well today as it ever did. Nearly perfectly balanced roster of enemies and weapons that is simply a masterclass in game design. Absolutely. My game today is Doom 2. Oh, hello. <laughs> and I don't want to just repeat what Chris said, so I thought I'd come at it from a slightly different angle. But first of all, here's a very brief history of my history with the game. So first off, I got the Depths of Doom trilogy when I was about eight or nine. I couldn't get the master levels to work because uh, we had Windows 95 and I still don't know what DOS is. <laughs> <laughs> it was scary and I wasn't good at it, so I did what anybody would do. I turned off all the monsters. <laughs> it was a dumb decision and I think that while pottering around and taking in the scenery of each level was actually pretty fun, it didn't help me get better at shooting games in general. And I wonder what my life would be like if I had been a little bit braver. <laughs> <laughs> probably able to actually complete it on the Switch now without having to resort to cheats and the like. Hmm. One of the best things about the Doom series is how people are still making Doom games on the old engine, or level packs, I should say. We had the uh, the unofficial fifth episode from John Romero a couple of years ago. Sigil! Sigil! <laughs> and then when the, when the Xbox 360 re-release came out in 2012, they had nine new levels for that as well. Bethesda have slipped in a few wads into the Switch releases, and that's just the, quote, official releases. The Doom community has made so many incredibly designed level packs, ranging from the atmospheric of the new Gothic to the completely insane of stuff like uh, Aquapuck Slaughter, which is like 30, I think it's maybe 30,000 enemies in one map. <laughs> Something like that. But I love watching playthroughs of new maps as I'm going to sleep, especially things like the slaughter maps where the death cries of literally tens of thousands of monsters almost becomes white noise. It's, it's weirdly relaxing seeing the fantastic new levels people are making with more powerful computers really plumbing the depths of what's possible on this nearly 30-year-old engine is nothing short of thrilling. And I think that enduring legacy is mostly down to uh, not only the proliferation of the original shareware Doom, but also, as I said before, the lineup of enemies is 
absolutely perfect. There's not one enemy that seems like a waste of effort. The variance and the balance, it's just masterful. I'd be surprised if we would be seeing things like um, the Holy Hell pack, Sunlust, or Back to Saturn X if the building blocks, these iconic monsters and weapons we used to destroy them, weren't already impeccably designed. So there we go, Doom 2. Not just for what it is, but for what it's inspired over the past 25 years. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I can't believe how big a community still exists for these games. Yeah, yeah. Because as you say, it's like if, if Doom was really your thing, if, if you were dead into Doom and nothing else, you could play a new level a day until you die. Mm. <laughs> like, there is just such a wealth of content out there that sometimes it's just little experiments that people chuck together and, and just put out into the world or in some cases like full episodes full level packs full games essentially i don't know if anyone's seen this stuff there is a, there's a game made on the doom engine which is a full 3d sonic title yeah i saw that being speedrun <laughs> in the last games done quick it's like sonic robo something blast i think that is it sonic robo blast absolutely incredible i couldn't believe what i was watching it was brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah it's, it's just such a versatile thing and it's amazing that people are still using like minty said just the the building blocks of doom to to create this weird and wonderful stuff mm. and amazing that you can play every doom entry on the switch yeah <laughs> alongside a load of the you know the official wads or the ones they they deem worthy of inclusion it's just insane value really doom thanks for that sorry that's only really sucking <laughs> <laughs> Doom, great, fuck off. <laughs> so, from Time Splitters 2 to Doom 2 to my game, which is also a sequel. It's not the second game oh, in the series. Disappointing. But it is my favourite, probably my favourite entry in a fantastic video game series. It's a game series that has actually featured twice on my list already. But this particular entry has a special place in my heart. It was a real showcase for the Nintendo DS. But most importantly, it was unbelievably fun. Yeah, it was. It's Mario Kart DS. Oh, hello. Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Good game. I firmly believe that when Mario Kart DS came out, it was far and away the best Mario Kart game in the series. So I've said before that I've often thought of myself as a handheld gamer. One of the reasons why I missed out on the 16-bit era and the N64. And so to get a fully-fledged 3D Mario Kart game on a handheld was very, very special. Now, I spoke many, many weeks ago about how much Mario Kart Super Circuit meant to me and how much fun I'd gotten from it. And, I mean, goodness me, that was improved upon so much with the DS version. Like, I remember when, when I got the DS version and started playing it, and it had been quite a few years since I played Super Circuit and was thinking, you know, this feels as fun. So maybe it wasn't as big a step up as, as I think it is. And then picking up Super Circuit again, maybe just, I, I mean, I have never been able to play Super Circuit again since <laughs> having Mario Kart DS. And likewise, when I went back to Mario Kart DS after playing Mario Kart 7. But I mean, firstly, Mario Kart DS was a technical marvel as far as I was concerned. Full 3D tracks, full 3D racers, running at like silky smooth 60 frames per second, all in the palm of my hand. Like, I remember so clearly the day I got it. I'd, I'd got an imported version from the US, so I had it like ahead of the UK release, and I sat on the floor in the corner of my bedroom playing it so I could play with my DS plugged into the wall with a, a charging <laughs> cable that was I mean, really too short to be considered useful. Now, I've spoken before about how I don't really like multiplayer games that much, and certainly not playing games online, and Nintendo have always been 
really considered when it comes to the single player experience in games that are largely based around multiplayer modes like if you look at super smash brothers or splatoon there's always been so much content to keep the single player happy whether or not they want to play online with friends or just stick to their own company which is usually better and mario kart is like another one of these but up until this point in the series the games were solely relying on the games being simply just fun to play on your own against the computer's AI racing combatants. And it has always been really, really good fun. And, you know, there was always time trials to keep you entertained as well. But Mario Kart DS, which, interestingly, for the first game in the series to actually have online multiplayer compatibility, I mean, ignore the GameCube's incredibly hard to use and get hold of little modem adapter, (laughs) which I don't think anyone anyone actually had. But Mario Kart DS actually caters for the single player better than any game in the series and that's down to a couple of things for one the game lets you play the multiplayer battle arenas against bots and this is the first time that it had done it which meant i actually played them (laughs) because I, i never really found that fun to play with friends but for now i could actually sort of practice and get better at it and and play on these these great little arena sort of courses that i you know i didn't play on and i know there was one there was one of the ds ones you could unlock which was a ds and you would drive over like uh, the top of a ds uh, as a battle arena which was quite fun oh, that's yes. very cool yes, I remember that one. the main reason this game was so suited for single player was down to the inclusion of missions yeah it's the only one isn't it yeah sadly it's a feature that's never returned to the series and it is it is sad because i i absolutely loved it and there were loads of missions there were six like levels of missions and each level had eight missions in it and a boss battle. So there's was, there was shitloads in there to keep you <laughs> occupied. And they really sort of branched out from just like, oh, here's a time trial or try and beat this AI. And they really sort of shook up the formula. So there was some where you had to like drive through certain gates that were laid out in like a weird order across the track, sort of challenging how you would normally do it. Or you had to like collect all the special coins that were strewn over a course, or you had to drive backwards through a level. You had to like complete a course performing a certain amount of power slides, or you had to use weapons to destroy enemies hiding around the stage. And then the boss battles would usually have you facing off against a giant opponent whilst trying to achieve a goal. I remember you had to like race King Boo for one, whilst also collecting 50 coins, or having to use mushrooms to like boost bash a boss off the side of a stage. There was, I mean, just loads of variety. And like you were saying with time splitters, you could get medals. So you could get one, two or three stars, and which meant there was loads of replayability as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I happily played through all of them time and time again until I got three stars and all of the missions. It's just, just brilliant. And yeah, like I said, I really wish something similar would return to the series. The game was just jam-packed with content. So you had eight playable races right from the start, which was great. And there was four more races you could unlock, including Rob, the robot, <laughs> which nobody saw coming. <laughs> and there were different vehicles to unlock as well, uh, all of which had individual characteristics. So you had a much sort of finer management over how you raced and how your, your cart handled. And... There were loads of tracks as well. So some real highlights for me. There was the Airship Fortress, which felt like the Mario Super Mario Brothers 3 of Mario Kart levels. And you had all these bullet bills firing at you. 
And then there was the Luigi's Mansion track, which brilliantly realised the the, the the mansion in 3D and you could race through the mansion and the surrounding spooky grounds. And there was Peach Gardens, which was a lovely realisation of the grounds around Peach Castle, complete with like a big pet chain chomp. There was a new version of Wario Stadium, which was a great reimagining of the incredibly dull track from Mario Kart 64. <laughs> Real personal favourite was Delfino Plaza, or I think it was called Delfino Square, I think the track but it was set in the Delfino Plaza from Super Mario Sunshine and the track wove you sort of in and out of its Venetian streets and you had the lovely piantas on the side cheering you on but I think my my favourite track was the TikTok clock track based on the area in Super Mario 64 and that was oh, it was just really really good fun you had to sort of dodge your way in and out of the clockwork you had to race over the clock faces trying to avoid the clock hands or using them as a sneaky shortcut oh. just fantastic level design and really nice to see that remastered in Mario Kart 8 as well but 16 incredible new tracks wasn't enough then there were the Retro Cups as well. And this was the first time that the series introduced Retro Cups. It was fantastic that Mario Kart Super Circuit also contained all of the tracks from the original Super Mario Kart. But this game took it to a whole other level and introduced a feature that, like I said, has reappeared in all of the Mario Kart games since. And that's including cups featuring tracks from all the other games. And this was particularly impressive because this game even took tracks from the GameCube's Double Dash which I mean getting to play those on a, on a handheld was oh, it was just enormously exciting especially the Yoshi circuit which has always been like a real favourite of mine and it was also really nice for the first time to see some of those pretty flat Mode 7 courses from the SNES and the Game Boy Advance kind of modelled and built up in 3D as well and that was oh, it was just lovely Mario Kart DS also introduced some new balance to the weapons now, I absolutely adored the individual special weapons that were in Double Dash, like the giant Bowser shell, Yoshi's egg, and like the baby Mario's chain chomps. I think I think it is a, a bit of a shame that that concept hasn't come back in Mario Kart 8, because there could be some great ones, like if Cat Peach, which is in Mario Kart 8, she could have the bell item, and then you could slash the tyres of rival carts as you went past, like old school chariot racing. <laughs> ben Hur style. Or like Metal Mario being able to turn his whole cart into metal to make it immovable to other races or the animal crossing villager being able to just like pick up one of the other races put it in your pocket and throw them out of the side of the course whenever you wanted <laughs> or link having a triforce that would rain down the power of the gods on your opponent i mean maybe we'll see those type of things when super crash brothers becomes a thing we keep talking about it <laughs> we, we do we keep we bringing do. it up we do the only reason it's not happening is because they'd have to give us money for coming up with the idea i think that's the problem exactly that is the problem exactly i mean it's the, it's the only evolution left for the series to take i think so whilst yeah it was a shame not to have that feature in mario kart Yes, some of those weapons were sort of retained, like the golden mushroom and the bob-ombs. But this game also introduced the bullet bill, which has been in the series since, which it sort of had a similar effect to the chain chomp, but it was reserved for those people who were like in the last couple of places, and it would it would just blast you through back into the cluster of races to sort of keep things even. And yeah, I mean, it's a it's a format that that Nintendo have obviously kept refining and refining and refining to sort of keep the balance right and even though blue shells are really unfair they are 
incredibly fun and especially now that there is like with the the super horn there is a sort of defense mechanism to get rid of it but i always liked trying to be a bit cautious and this is one of the things the ds was great for because on the bottom screen where you could see the map you could zoom in and you could see what items the players were holding or the other races were holding and you could also see them on the track as they were coming towards you so if you saw if you were in first place and you saw somebody all of a sudden pick up a blue shell then i'd just back off slightly and let somebody else go ahead of me and let them just stay in first place for long enough for them to be destroyed and then for me to to, to overtake again <laughs> and yeah it's just great i mean such a great game like we've said before i mean nintendo know what they're doing when it comes to refining a genre and making it fun and mario kart is better than any racing game you can play it's it's certainly better than any kart racing game you can play mario kart ds one of the very best mario kart games and just unbearably enjoyable and addictive and is, is one that will remain very close to my heart no matter how the series continues to develop and and how big it gets and how much better it, it hopefully will get because i mean i can't imagine how it can get better than mario kart 8 but i'm sure they'll find a way but yeah mario kart ds absolutely loved it 35th favorite video game of all time it's a good one yeah it's a really, it's a good really excellent game i played it online I, I bought a wireless dongle specifically for my computer because we didn't have a wireless hub or anything at the time yeah i remember playing it over at your house online yeah but i, I remember it, that took me like a full week to get working yeah nintendo have never been like on top of the curve when it comes to uh, wireless and internet play <laughs> no so yeah there was a point where i was just like have i just spent 30 quid am i going to snap my ds in half over this <laughs> but no when i actually got online it was great fun just really good fun. I played a lot of that, and I played a lot of um, Tetris DS online with the same dongle. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, nice. My only experience was I remember coming over to yours and playing it on, on your little dongle, yeah. and that was when I realised that I wasn't as good as Mario Kart uh, as I thought I was. Um, <laughs> I could beat all my friends, but I couldn't beat... The world. The world, <laughs> which is, is a lesson that stayed with me, I guess. Were you good at this one, Minty? Was this one of your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was very, very good at Mario Kart, yes. <laughs> was this another one that you, you destroyed all the other kids at lunch at college? <laughs> yeah. It's, yes, yeah. And we'll learn more about that later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there we have it. Another three games from these three gents. First of all, we had Time Splitters 2. And then we had Doom 2. Before finally, Mario Kart 2. <laughs> no, Mario Kart 4, 5 DS. Mario Kart 2 screens. Oy! Very good. That's, that's, that's good. That's strong. We like this. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and share the podcast, subscribe to it if you haven't already, tell your friends, put it on social media, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, share it on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and any other platform that you might use myspace you can find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash our three cents you can chat to us on there about these games you can chat to us about games that you're playing you can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or you can take us to task individually you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore hodges and i'm clement underscore boo and please do check out our youtube channel we've got some great video content being uploaded there all the time so do subscribe to that and if you're a really big fan of us and want to get more content from us, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash our three cents, pledge away, and you can get some exclusive content that is absolutely banging. Until next time, though, we shall bid you adieu. Goodbye. See you later, everyone. Hey, folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and editor in chief over at shacknews.com. 
give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday.